doing, man? I'm good. What's going on? Oh, you know, all good. You, you look like you're just waking up. <laughs> yeah, I almost, almost napped after lunch. Nice sweatshirt. I, I wake up early. Yeah, focus starts. I wake up early, man. So uh, sometimes the day is pretty exhaustive. And whenever I have a day that I, it's not really that common, but whenever I have a day that I bust out of the tournaments that I play in the morning, because they usually last like eight hours. Like uh, last night, I played one that lasted for seven hours. I just missed the final table, taking 13th place. So whenever it's a big marathon in terms of getting focused, you know, for such a long period of time, so it's exhausting. But uh, yeah, whenever I, I bust the tournaments early, earlier than usual, I tend to chill a little bit, you know? Isn't there, have you ever considered um, checking out tournaments at different times of the day? Because I, I'd imagine that you're playing against people who happen to play at that time. Yes, uh, usually the afternoon is more uh, uh, pro-infested. If you, if you, put, if you uh, I, I realize that morning tournaments, you have uh, more recreational players than in the afternoon. Not only that, the field size is uh, is not that big as compared to the afternoon. So I, and also, uh, whenever I was playing the afternoon. Say I started like 1, 2 p.m. my time. The tournaments would would uh, play into very late at night here. Mm -hmm. So it was hard to balance, you know, when uh, my girlfriend came home from work and I'm still playing up into, you know, she goes to sleep. That was no good. Right, right. So in order to have more of a balance, uh I decided to play the morning tournaments, mm -hmm. but sometimes I, I, I skip to the afternoon. It's not really that. It's not really the rule anymore. But sometimes I make it an exception. So usually the weekends, that's when I make the exceptions. Cool. Speaking of, uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. So this week I had a, one of my goals for the week was to go to the the card club that's near where I live and to check it out. So I went on. Um, I went Saturday morning. Um, you know, I work at night, so I got off of work, and and I went there. So I walk into the Oaks Card Club at about 7:45 on a Saturday morning, wondering, you know, what kind of a crowd is going to be in there. Yeah. And so there was three full nine-seat tables of hold'em, completely full, being played at that time and then there was also a couple people playing blackjack and there was a, a table in the back maybe that was a, a higher roller table but I couldn't tell what they were playing but there was three tables of people and there was no seat for me not that I was planning on sitting down but there were no seats available at those three tables and then as I, I stuck around for a while and then they were going to start to open a, a higher stake table I think that all three of those tables were running three six blinds and uh, they were about to open a 612. And uh, it was funny, man. It was interesting because, number one, I was, I was possibly the youngest person in there. 
everybody was older than me, and I am not young. You know, it was uh, the early morning crowd was was in their 40s and 50s and 60s, you know, around this table. But then it looked like something out of, you know, stereotypical <laughs> Oakland casting. You had the older Asian woman sitting at the table with what looked like a litron of beer, <laughs> taking swigs from her bottle as she throws her chips out there, losing continually. You had the very well-dressed Asian man, you know, with in, in his in his nice clothes with his giant stack of chips, you know. You had the you had some guys that looked like they just came in off the street and they were drunk, you know, and shouldn't have been playing and, you know, and didn't look like they had much money to lose. And uh it was a pretty ethnically mixed crowd. It just wasn't a very diverse age group crowd. But Saturdays they play big hold'em tournaments there in the afternoon. Oh, the other thing about it that was interesting is, so I'm standing there hanging out, and the guy who's who's kind of in charge, the floor manager, um, he decides he's going to open up another table. And so he starts kind of like yelling across the room, asking people if they want to get in on it. And he knows everybody there. I mean, everybody's a regular. <laughs> Exactly. He's like, Jimmy, you want in on a 612? Eddie, you going to get in on a 612? Hey, I'm in on the 612. Tommy's in on the 612. You know, it's just like, so you get, you wonder if, you know, the majority of them at that hour are just, you know, the ones who hang out and know each other. Maybe not the best time of day for me to walk in and get, sit down at the table. <laughs> exactly. And what I was thinking is, maybe you were the trigger of a new higher table. Yeah, I Ever thought that thought too. That? <laughs> yeah, I thought that too. Maybe once I walked out, they were just like, oh, forget about it. There's no 612. 612? What are you, nuts? <laughs> exactly. That's what I thought. That's the first thing I thought. And uh, So, yeah, man, it seems like a place where, uh, full of, uh, you know, characters over there. Yeah, it looks and, interesting. Uh, so I've been to it now, so maybe the next time I'll go in and sit down. They have a couple things there that I thought were interesting I wanted to tell you about. The one was they have flyers kind of on the wall for their different tournaments. They have Hold'em tournaments four or five days a week, and there's different buy-ins and different things on different days. The one that I'm going to target as my long-term goal is the one on Monday nights because I don't work Monday nights, and also because it has a lower buy-in than the ones on the weekends. So it's, and the way that it works is it's a, it's a Hold'em tournament and it's got, um, so you, it, it's expensive, you know, it's 150 buy-in, which is a 120 buy-in, $20 entry fee and $10 service fee. I don't know why they have to spell that out. Uh, and then you start with 10,000 chips. There's no rebuys, which I like. Yeah, and, that's, um, that's good. And it's a knockout tournament. It's a bounty tournament, it's called. Have you ever heard of a bounty tournament where if you knock somebody out of the tournament, you win 20 bucks? Exactly. That's the ones I play the most, actually. So it starts, yeah. At, yeah, it starts at 6 p.m. basically on Monday nights. So that would fit into my schedule pretty well, actually. Um, it would be a rested day and that kind of thing. The other thing they have at the casino, I've never seen one of these before. I've been to Vegas, but I guess I never really looked around. But they have these um, responsible gambling guidelines. 
pamphlet. <laughs> it, on one side, it's in English, and on the other side, it's in Chinese. And it says things like, think of the money you lose as the cost of your entertainment. And, uh, <laughs> and understand that you'll probably lose and accept the loss as part of the game. <laughs> and then it says, uh, don't let gambling interfere with or become a substitute for family, friends, or work. <laughs> Don't use gambling as a way to cope with emotional or physical pain. Anyway, I, I don't know if they have these in Vegas. It looks like it's sponsored by the California, you know, Department of Gambling Addicts. But um, nice place in there, diner, everything clean, you know, pretty cool. So, um, and I can get there on the on the subway. It takes me relatively close to it, and then I can walk to it from there. But it was cool to cool to get over there and check it out. I kind of liked the atmosphere, but like I said, at that hour, it felt like, you know, I was the only one that wasn't at the last birthday party. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, the one that uh, triggered the uh, six twelve. Uh, <laughs> now they but probably yeah. think that wasn't high enough for me. I'll walk in next Saturday and they'll be like, anybody up for the twenty five fifty table? <laughs> What's it take for this guy? <laughs> yeah, if you go with your work clothes, man, they think you're. You know. <laughs> oh no, man! The clothes I walked in with—I mean, that's the thing, though. I look like I, I don't wear nice clothes when I walk because I walk through a, a pretty shady part of town at night to get to my job. So, you know, I like—it's like walking through Lapa. You don't want to look like you have anything valuable on, and I don't. You know, I wear this corduroy jacket that was made in Romania that I bought for four bucks in a secondhand store. I got an inter I read something interesting this week I wanted to share with you, get your thoughts on it. So I'm reading that book slowly at work, um, The Professor, the Banker, and the Suicide King. It's the story yeah. of the um, really high-stakes rounds of poker that they were playing about 15, 16 years ago with this banker from Texas named Andy Bill, and a lot of those famous guys who are still major celebrities in the poker culture. And uh, the first... The first time they played him, uh, they basically, he wanted to play heads up. He wanted to play somebody heads up is what it came down to. And so they didn't want to, I mean, for them, it was a lot more money than it was for him. So the way that they decided to do it was to pull their money together and take turns playing him. So that, exactly. you know, and, and uh, in doing so, they, they wiped him out. Each person wiped him out. Each person beat him. And... Uh, and then he left, and then he came back a few months later, which is where I'm at in the book now. And while he was gone, he ran a computer program running millions of hands of heads-up poker to figure out odds. And this is what he figured out. Where am I here? Okay. That if you're heads-up, the lowest high card you could have in your hand and expect to win more than half the time. That's what he wanted to know was what hands he could win more than half the time with in heads up by the numbers, just by the statistics. So the lowest high card you could have in your hand and expect to win more than half the time, it turns out, is a king. Anything lower than a king, if that's all you got and the other card doesn't matter, in heads up, you're not going to win over half the time. Now... What is the unpaired, unsuited hand with the lowest high card, the lowest, that would win more than half the time? The answer is a 10-8. A 10 and an 8, not, not suited, 
in heads up poker would win more than half of the time? Yeah, so he ran basically, uh, there are many softwares that can, that can help you today to figure out the expectation for different hands. And heads up, you want to play a wide range of hands because uh, if you think of the math of the game, nobody's going to hit the flop too often. So you don't, you don't actually need a hand to pick up the pot because usually initiative and aggression will, will do that for you. Heads up is might as well be playing war, just it's basically playing high card. Now, do people run that software while they play online, do you think? Simultaneously? Or is um, the game too fast? It's not too fast. Uh, depends on how many tables you play. We use a HUD. A HUD will tell you uh, statistics uh, based on your opponent's previous actions. It I mean, records uh, every time, for example, that you bet on the flop, every time that you fold on the flop. So the bigger the sample size, say, say I have been playing with you for hundreds of hands, the more reliable these statistics they become because of the bigger sample size. You, you use that while you play in tournaments? Yes, um, most players do nowadays. So that doesn't but seem it, to... it's, it's not really, what it does is it just tells you what you could have you, you could have noticed yourself, but because you're playing so many tables, it wouldn't be human po humanly possible for you to do that because you have to you know, act in every table. But for example, say you're playing one table, it wouldn't be possible for me to make an estimate of how often you fold when I bet on the flop. It wouldn't be possible for me to make an estimate of how often you raise when you are on the button, for example. Uh, I would still have these uh, rough estimations in my head, but the HUD does this mechanically because you're playing so many tables and you you know it's not humanly possible for you to keep track. Did you play this morning? I did. Yeah, um, I made it to 80th something in Bounty Builder 22, and <clears throat> I played a few a bunch of sitting goes. But yeah, no, no deep runs today like yesterday. I mean, close enough, but 80th was like 50 bucks maybe. Yeah, how many people started that? It's always around 2,400 people uh, for these uh, morning tournaments. Oh, I see. You can miss the cut. It actually fills up and it closes out. Uh, it starts at uh, 8.30 in the morning for me. And people can late register until for another two hours, I believe so. Are you playing with poker chips in your hand? Yeah, you can hear that. I didn't know. Yeah, it, it's. I don't know if it's close to the microphone or what. Doing some tricks, and you know, it helps you to not to get really uh, to release stress in a way. Oh, and I you just. I, I bet you heard a lot of chips shuffling when you went to the card club, huh? A little bit. It was there was a lot of people. There was a lot of friendly conversation at the tables, and you know it was very um, uh, familiar. There was an air of familiarity, which I'm sure is not there for the tournaments. Maybe I'll stop by this week when the tournament's going on. Yeah, uh, when we went to the club here, to the poker club, we have close to our place. Everybody knew each other over there. It's just that people. Uh, 
it's not that really they're all good players and regulars. It's just they regularly attend that club. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So everybody gets to know each other. Yeah. And people go often to the card club. I mean, it's just like a bar. You know, you go to a bar on a Tuesday afternoon, you got the regulars, you go on a Friday night, you got everybody. I think I'll go next. I'll wait until next Monday night for the tournament that I hope to get in on and see see the scene there. Yeah, the more you play, the more you gain experience, and you start to question this, question that. Oh, should I? You start thinking more about the situations, and you want to have a mathematical uh, explanation. You know? Yeah, it's it's, it's just learning the stats, teaching yourself the stats. I remember reading about. Um, a professional baseball manager, Tony La Russa, who um, studied that all the time, you know, other pitchers' tendencies, other batters' tendencies, and, you know, he was one of the great baseball managers in, in modern baseball until he just knew them, you know, until he just kind of mostly knew them to the point where he could just think through them and it helped him make small decisions late in games. But um, that's a lot of that's a lot of math and a lot of scenarios there. And then still, you don't know what the guy's got. You so yeah, you inspired me, and inspired me, man. I should go to the my local card club here sometime. Again, there's a new one. I want to check it out, and uh, they do have tournaments, but it's usually at night. So I would have to go like 8:30 p.m. Yeah, it would mess around a little bit with my schedule. Because usually I sleep early to wake up early and play the morning tournaments. But yeah, one of these days, like maybe a Friday, go there, have a beer, join the, uh, you know, and play poker without a HUD. And make all these estimations in my head like I used to. It would be interesting because it would affect how you played, but you wouldn't want it to affect how you played online because you're approaching online poker from a different strategy really and using different resources and you wouldn't want to start you know shooting from the hip when you don't have to maybe and you know where your comfort level is the other thing i thought was interesting in in the book the the professor of the bank of the suicide king i'm only about halfway through it but the other thing's interesting is a lot of the book is profiles of the poker players the pros and and them talking about, you know, moving up to higher stakes as players. Talking about how a lot of pro players just find a comfort level at a certain level, and that's just what they stick to, and they grind out, you know, and make their living at that level. And, you know, what kind of decisions lead to, you know, moving up to higher stakes. Because in the book, every single player, every single one of them, at different points in time, talks about how they had been totally washed out and borrowing money from other poker players, you know, to make it back. And um, and that's how they live kind of thing. And that's just, that's pretty crazy. And, and then talking about how, you know, I didn't used to get washed, I didn't used to get washed out when I would play at lower stakes, but now I play at higher stakes and that's just how it goes. And, um, you know, th- that finding that comfort level and challenging that comfort level is an interesting part of poker like it is of anything else yeah, poker is a, is, is a fun game, it's a fun game to play, If you, you don't really need to take it so seriously uh, and think oh I need to make money doing this, if, if that's your thing yes definitely, study and put in the hours and, 
and everything. But if you want to take it as a hobby, just like going to a movie or going to a soccer game, you go there, you buy a beer, and you sit there and watch the teams play. I mean, the thing is, with poker, you play yourself, and and there, and that's it, man. You know, as long as it's not really interfering in your personal life and not really spending more than you should, um, you know, whatever amount you set as a to spend in, in your hobbies, that should be okay because it's a fun game. It's like going out and going to a movie or. You know, you you pay for the experience uh, for, for for socializing even. I remember I started using poker a lot a lot a lot more often in the hostel. In the um, we had a poker tournament there. We had a group of French musicians, so everybody was there, and then there was a little bit of a language barrier because I could not speak French. Liz could speak a little bit of French. She she can communicate in French. So we, but some of them sp could speak English. So we had this idea to uh, have this poker tournament, and everybody had a great time. I mean, there were some Brazilian guests over there too that couldn't speak a word of English or French, and you you could see people from different nationalities that could not communicate verbally having a a, 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 a good a good time with each other at the table, laughing. And trying to communicate with you know <laughs> whatever way they could, and it was really really good experience. And it's social, it's fun. It was a good time. And sometimes I sit down with this uh, player, and I get to the final table with this player that is obviously a recreational player. And because because of the poker in its nature will be much different than you know chess for example i can still lose and that player will say oh i beat that regular <laughs> you know i mean you know i won that's it move on to the next one <laughs> yeah there's a lot of losing involved there's a lot of folding man how often do you think you fold before the flop oh it, it will depend uh, a lot on how for example you should adapt according to what the table is doing, right? You, yeah, you yeah, but I mean, just in general, how often do you think you fold before the flop? In some games, as much as uh, uh, maybe 80% of the yeah. time. Yeah. You know, it's a lot. So, and. I think that's, yeah, that's what makes I guess that's what makes it so possible to play many tables at a time is the high percentage of times that you're just going to fold before the flop. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, man. I'm trying to do that. You know, go to this club and see it firsthand because I'm not used to live poker at all. I played a little bit in the hostel time, but. Well, it's nice just to get out. Can you ride your bicycle down there with your nice little bicycle helmet on? Little yeah, bell. yeah. You gotta ring yeah. that. You gotta ring that bell when you get to the card club, so they know you're there. <laughs> I never forget. <laughs> yeah. What about the? Um, is the obviously up here? Really, the biggest story in sports every day is the coming fight between boxing match between McGregor and Mayweather. Boxing is not so popular in Brazil, 
but MMA is obviously hugely popular in Brazil. And when I lived in Brazil, most of the champions were Brazilian, and Silva was like the most recognized UFC fighter in the world. And now, I mean, McGregor since then has just completely taken over the McGregor and Rousey, first of all. And then, and now McGregor, basically, what he's doing, I mean, it, I assume that everyone in Brazil that likes MMA is also following what happens with him, even if they hate that guy's guts. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh -oh. I mean I'm not sure. I don't follow boxing so, so closely, but who do you think is going to win? I don't know, man. I, I'm, very, I'm very skeptical of storylines and narratives. It's just set up too perfectly like the first Rocky movie where the champion who'd never lost, you know, and then the huge underdog, you know, who no one gives a chance to. But, but the big difference here is that Mayweather's old and McGregor's not, and speed means a lot. You know, but don't, don't you think experience can prevail? You know, every, every, look at what just happened to Usain Bolt. He stuck yeah. around too long and embarrassed himself, which is the same thing that happened to Muhammad Ali, which is the same thing that happened to Michael Jordan. Nobody talks about it anymore, but at the end of Michael Jordan's career, he was getting his ass kicked by average yeah. players, you know? Muhammad Ali's last fight, he just got the hell beat out of him. And, I mean, there's precedence for, for sticking around too long. Mayweather's coming off two years retired. I watched his last fight with Pacquiao. It sucked. He hasn't knocked anybody out since 2011, which was six <laughs> years ago. He's gone yeah. to every fighter he's fought since 2011 has taken him the distance. Speed. These are not heavyweight boxers. They can't just swing one punch and knock the other guy out. These guys weigh 165 pounds. <laughs> they don't knock anybody out. You know, unless they hit them a lot of times. So if the other guy is faster than you, he is going to hit you more and he's going to win by decision or maybe hit you enough that you are bleeding and he gets a TKO or maybe hit you enough that somehow you fall over. Like, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm going to check that out this week. I'm going to go next Monday night to the Hold'em tournament at the Oaks Card Club and uh, make my presence known again. You're a poker hands. Uh, you, you have been playing on poker stars, right? Yeah, but I, I've just been fooling around at work. This week, I'm gonna play more concentrated. You know, all I want to do when I when I do it is try to not wash out. <laughs> like, can I can I sit down at this table and still be at this table in a half an hour? Can I still be at this table in an hour? <laughs> you know, because that's the challenge. When I can start to do that, when I can start to play. At, at a table and just be there and my chips you know chip count either more or less stays the same or goes gradually up then I'll start to have a bit more confidence but you know staying alive for 30 minutes without going all in on a pair of eights is tough <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Hemingway had the bullfighting Bukowski had the uh, horse racing and now you have the card clubs as, <laughs> as a source for characters um, probably I'm going to start going to the gym too. Why? So should... Why? <laughs> <laughs> because when you're a poker player, 
you sit around your ass all day and you start getting fatter and that's not good and it affects your you know cognitive capacities <laughs> to point that you need to move so I'll probably go to the gym to you know do a little bit of running a little bit of walking and I don't know lift some weights get big <laughs> not really <laughs> just just not be you know completely uh, you know a fat ass That's I don't want to get too fat <laughs> <laughs> alright cool alright man we'll see how that all goes then you don't have that problem man because of genetics but uh, <laughs> I need to move I have to work out. I go to the gym every single day after work. I work out at the fitness center in the hotel. They let us work out there. Oh, you've been working out. Yeah, I have to. I do you mean you have to? What do you mean you have to? I mean, my my father, my family, you know, we, we gain weight. We have no metabolism. We got to exercise. But I mean... You never used to exercise in Rio. Yeah, but in Rio, it was so fucking hot that I was sweating constantly. Yeah. Yeah. And, all the, and the wine kept me in shape. Wine keeps you in shape. Yeah. I don't drink enough here, so I have to compensate by exercise. <laughs>